Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today we're talking general election projections, we're talking polls, we're getting into the political geeky stuff and uh, uh, joining me today is a fellow political commentator, little by little, it's Andrew Little. How are you doing today, Andrew? You alright? <laughs> yeah, very well, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Andrew, you write for The Courier and you also write a book yourself? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm a columnist with The Courier. I'm a decent pieces elsewhere as well. I'm the spectator and whatnot. But yeah, and I've written a couple of books. I wrote a biography of Ruth Davidson uh, that came out in 2017. And uh, more recently, uh, a history of um, Churchill's time as the MP for Dundee. So uh, his his nearly 15 years as MP for Dundee called Cheers, Mr. Churchill, um, right. which came out uh, at the end of uh, uh, October 2022. So 100 years after Churchill's Churchill's defeat. Wow. Yeah, I was just, I was literally just talking about Ruth Davidson on my podcast last night. How about that? (laughs) So Ruth Davidson and I, (laughs) she actually made a joke uh, to the person that arranged the meeting. She, um, it was around the time of the independence referendum and she said to the the guy seeing her out, she was like, I don't think I'm going to get Ennis's vote. (laughs) <laughs> this time round, <laughs> um, I was—I I don't know if you know this about me, Andrew, but I was very passionate campaigner of independence pre twenty fourteen. Um, yeah. it came out of, to be fair, I—I I, I think I've always been a really patriotic guy, and uh, I've always—I've always kind of been left leading, and it can the the movement kind of made sense in my head uh, around that time. And uh, Ruth Davidson, uh, her and I had a, a disagreement surrounding the the EU question. Let's see. I think she may have thought she came out on top then, but I think in hindsight, <laughs> the argument wasn't as strong as as perhaps the the no thanks camp would have would have liked <laughs> liked it to be. Would you Would you agree with that as someone that's read a book on her? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, and I mean, I think that um, uh, you know, I mean, from my point of view, certainly Brexit's been one of the the, the major disasters of, the, if not the major disaster of the last. Uh, uh, well, 30, 30 or 40 years probably of, of modern British politics. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, it, you've touched on something there. I think you know, and it, it is very difficult, I think, for people like myself, you know, who, are, who are, uh, were, were, were in the no camp in 2014, indeed, you know, still still would, would be. Uh, but, you know, also are passionately pro-European. And I think Ruth, you know, someone that would, that would fit into that that category as well. And it was very, very difficult in 2016, I think, after the Leave vote, navigating that. Um, I, I think, it, you know, it's one of the things, obviously, that's that's had a big impact on the independence debate, debate post-referendum. Um, and I think on the way people view uh, view the UK. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting one, yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I think the, the no-cap must be looking at the last sort of three or four conservative governments been thinking oh it just had to be them post 2014 <laughs> because it's just it's just been diametric opposite to what was promised in, in 2014 in terms of the stability in terms of the, the european membership it's just been it's just not lived up to what was promised in 2014 yeah i mean it's been it's definitely been a difficult a difficult decade and um you know, as you may know, you know, I'm, I'm generally speaking as a Labour Party supporter, and so it's been frustrating as well from 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 that point of view. You know, these consecutive Conservative governments that have sort of got steadily more um, bonkers and uh, and out of touch with reality. I think as time's gone on, I mean, I think certainly 
from my point of view, I do think Brexit obviously provides has provided a useful lesson of of how difficult it is to do kind of constitutional change, um, and particularly you know major constitutional change just off from a mandate from from one vote. Um, so I do think there's there's a useful um, cautionary lesson there of, of what could have gone wrong in 2014, um, and uh, you know I think will help inform the independence debate going forwards as well because we now have more of a sense. Yes. of what's kind of involved, um, how tricky these things can get, how they can be pushed to, you know, you can have start off with a relatively moderate proposition and it gets pushed to an extreme um, by both sides during negotiation and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a useful useful lesson in some ways, even though it's obviously... Yeah, well, not, I mean, the, the outcome. referendums usually are meant to be at a time where the country can't make their mind up. And this is what gives us that definitive answer. But what we've actually learned from that referendum is actually causes quite a lot of problems in itself. Um, oh. I, I think, you know, I, a few Labour uh, politicians, when they've been on panels like Debate Night, they've been very you know open about the fact that, you know, we are split down the middle uh, in terms of uh, public opinion. You can split hairs. I mean, if we had a vote tomorrow, it, it might be the case that, yes, we'd be at 48. It might be the case that it'd be at, at 52, to give the Brexit example. Um, but I think there is a general consensus that that might not solve everything. You know, it, oh, like to, to think that, I think if we've learned something, there was such a considerable amount of people that didn't want Brexit. And as soon as they see, start to see any kind of reality of what Brexit would look like, I think if you asked again, it just wouldn't have been the same kind of vote. Totally, totally. No, and I mean, I think refer you know, referenda is general just a terrible idea in my view. I mean, I think it's, um, it, you know, I think that um, we should elect politicians to to to, to lead and you know, or, or a mandate to do something. Um, and you know, if David Cameron thought it was a good idea for us to lead the European Union, that should have been in the Conservative Party manifesto, and we should have left. I mean, committing to a referendum, you know where clearly there's such a tight margin and where public opinion is not fixed um, at all. You know, you made the point about the, the, the independence referendum. I mean, the same would be true with Brexit now. I mean, you'd probably get a very different result, I think, to mm. um, uh, to the result that you got in, in, in 2016 with the benefit of hindsight. Um, and uh, so, so I think they're a terrible mechanism for making uh, policy choices. And of course, they always get used on these major, really important questions like independence or union, uh, like like EU or or, or or Brexit, and that's that's the worst. The kind of, I mean, fair enough if you want to, you know, maybe use a referendum on should the speed limit be twenty miles an hour or thirty miles an hour or something <laughs> like that. That perhaps is, you know, slightly less uh, less consequential, perhaps. Um, uh, yeah, but, I, I um, guess. But, I guess the tricky thing is, and I think this is where independent supporters feel aggrieved is that just because the country split 50 50 doesn't necessarily mean that the status quo should be given presidents this i think this is this certainly idea um and then they wonder okay well if there isn't going to be a referendum then what is the sort of democratic mechanism to express that wish of the scottish people so that's where it becomes a little bit difficult i think there is differences in the the brexit thing whereas uh, because post-Brexit, we've kind of realised, like, what was it all for? There's literally nothing different. I mean, the Brexiteers talk about sovereignty. Yeah. Like, Brexiteers talk about sovereignty. We were a sovereign nation before that. 
You know, it, it, that that's like saying France isn't a sovereign nation or Italy isn't a sovereign nation. Like yeah. people have levels of economic and political ties uh, across, you know, borders with also being independent sovereign nations. It's just bizarre. So I think the the difference in the independence, Scottish independence question is definitely, you know, there's there's definitely considerable difference there, but albeit, you know, lessons need to be learned. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah, think... Do, sorry, do you think that if the vote for independent supporting parties were to exceed 50%, probably a big leap that, um, in fairness, but if it were to happen, do you think Keir Starmer, uh, the most likely next Prime Minister, would grant a referendum? Do you, you mean the general election or, Holly, or just, in, just in general? I mean, either, to be fair. I mean, either. either I mean, I think it's, probably, I don't know, as I was saying that, I, I was thinking, why does it matter? Because I think the answer would be the same. Uh, which, which is, I think, no. I mean, I, th- I think, I think, from Keir's point of view, you know, and from from Labour's point of view, um, there's a feeling. One, one, obviously, Scotland is particularly in a general election. You know, still has an important part to play in 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 delivering a Labour government for sure. Um, so I think you know there'll be an anxiety um, and a and a desire to make sure that that Scotland can return as many Labour MPs as possible. As I, I think it. It will, as I'm sure we'll come on to discuss. Um, but also, I don't think it's not really in Keir's or, or indeed the Labour Party's sort of um, uh, uh, ideological makeup, I think, at the moment. You know, I think their, their view would be let's give a Labour government a chance to see if it can make lives better for people in Scotland, see if it can fix some of the issues we've had uh, with clashes between the reserved government and, and the devolved government and that kind of thing. Um, and that it's just ultimately not a priority at the moment for people um, with all the other issues that we have that we have going on in in, um, in the UK and, and indeed in the world. Um, so, so I think I think definitely not. I mean, whether or not that's viewed as sort of anti-democratic, you know, is one of these sort of semantic debates that <laughs> that will you know people will have various various views on. I don't doubt, but um, but I certainly think. I don't think Keir would feel pressured to to, to, to grant a, a referendum, um, even if, even if there were a majority for for pro independence parties. I think the I think the key difference between the general election and the Scottish Holyrood elections is, you can argue that people vote in a general election for a number of other reasons. You can argue the same for the Scottish Parliament as well, of course, but I think when you look at the general election. And I think when you look at the trend of voting intention as well, when you look at the SNP at 35% and independence a lot higher, you could argue, yeah, there might be 15, 20% of people that believe in independence, but they don't believe it's the right thing to do right now. Um, perhaps even in five years, maybe even 10 years time, you know, that to, 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 to say, to say the mandate is to, to vote SNP now is, is a little bit of a stretch. And the reason I say that is because although the SNP will, be putting forward that motion in their manifesto when they're sending a voice down to Westminster it's a bit of a different story there you know they, they, they're they're pleading with voters to kick the Tories out so if you're voting for the SNP to kick the Tories out does that mean your mandate holds up for independence as well I think there is a general consensus in Scotland that we want a change in government in, in the UK uh, in the Westminster I don't think that's even debatable um, so for Hamza Yusuf to make that pitch and also use that as a mandate for general election is is certainly questionable. But then I I do think you know we've just talked about how it's up in the air whether Keir Starmer would give a referendum. But I do think there needs to be 
some democratic process for which people can express that view because if let's let's say it was 56 57 percent of people voting independence parties then surely the pressure would come on Keir Thunder to to address that to, even to some extent I think I think that's right and I, I do think it's important that there is there is a mechanism clearly um or a process that that, w- that would exist to kind of um uh to allow another referendum I mean I think the best way really to do that is is um the method that the first minute, the former first minister Nicola Sturgeon herself suggested after the Brexit vote, which you know was was sort of sustained support for a period of time um, at, at more than sixty percent, and you know f- from someone that's a pro you know pro union person, that for me would be would be perfectly satisfactory. I mean, I think if there's clear evidence um, uh, from uh, opinion polling that a significant majority of people in Scotland would support separation. Uh, then that that would be cause um, and would be an appropriate time to have another referendum. I think one of the problems, as we know, and, we, and we've all discussed, you know, particularly since uh, Nicola Sturgeon resigned kind of this time last year, um, is, of course, that dial hasn't really shifted at all. And I think, as you um, alluded to in your question, actually, independence has receded as a priority for a lot of people rather than becoming something that's more popular or more urgent um, because as you say people are you know perhaps looking at different types of change now you know there's a prospect of change with the Labour government versus a more dramatic constitutional change and and people might prefer that and I think it's one of the interesting things that's I mean you hear it a lot from SNP commentators and and indeed from the, the current first minister Hamza Youssef himself you know there's there's a suggestion that because independent support in in polling has remained relatively consistent at you know 48 50 52 percent whichever precise number it is but around that around half the population say that they they that the SNP strategists believe that there's a, a, a an opening uh for them to 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 increase their level of support up from the kind of 35 36 it is at the moment but actually I think that's wishful thinking because of that reason that you've said because i think that even though people may identify themselves as independent supporters when they're asked by uh, a polling agency uh you know and, and they say yes well you know it, it, theoretically i'm i'm pro-independence um that doesn't necessarily mean that they have any enthusiasm for the question being asked again now or as you said you know in the first five years or indeed possibly ever it, it's just become over time uh, as a result of 2014, part of their identity, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that, that, that that it's where the SNP can pick up support in the way it has previously. Mm, absolutely, but it, it, you know, it's it's interesting to pick up on this this notion of you know politicians representing their ideologies and and values and and leading, as opposed to retorting to you know mass voting mechanisms. Mm. Um, and the SNP have switched their strategy to say that if we were in a majority of seats in parliament we would exercise that mandate what do you think of that yeah i mean i was actually gonna it's kind of embarrassing to say this possibly but it's been the smp position has been through so many iterations i'm slightly lost as to exactly um what the what the mechanism now is exactly i i mean no it's pretty clear is if if they if they if they get the majority of seats in the next holiday parliament they will start negotiating um the terms for independence right right i mean i think to my mind i don't think that's well i think there's two things I, i i don't think that's necessarily a good a good idea and a good way i think returning to those kind of arguments i would say is probably not 
the right time but also i think politically it's very very unlikely that that would that would happen um i think that you know that the 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 wheel is turning um for uh, you know, just it, it, apart from anything else, just the length of time the SNP has been in office, um, I think it would be asking a huge amount um, for them to uh, to, to win, um, e e even possibly to remain in the government, let alone win a majority in, in 2026. So I think that um, I think that that's a, that's a tough ask, both in terms of the kind of legitimacy of it, but also in terms of the actual probability of it happening at all. So you seem really confident in our in a Labour win, it seems, despite well, <laughs> despite a couple of big polls last week saying the SNP are on course for about 40 seats. Mm. Well, I think, so I think that I, I am reasonably confident that Labour is going to do well um, in, and, and has certainly turned a corner in Scotland um, for a number of reasons. I think that the point I made earlier, just I think about the independence question slightly receding from people's minds, I think is a really important one because I think that um, that begs the question of, of, of why will people um, vote SNP? Uh, and I think, um, or why will a lot of people continue to vote SNP? So I think that, that's a really important point. I think Labour as well has cleaned up its act a lot, both, I mean, I think here, you know, clearly is positioning himself as a prime minister and waiting. That's the, the way the polls are looking in the rest of the UK. And I think people in Scotland will want to be involved in that process. As we discussed earlier, you know, I think there's a desire for change. And I think that once we get closer to an election, that will only kind of snowball and people won't want to uh, feel like they're opposing um, the prospect of a, of a Labour government and, and kicking out the Conservatives. And I think Anas has done a really good job in Scotland as well. You know, I think he's, he's got good ratings. Um, I think he's, he's a popular guy, good communicator. Um, and I think he'll he'll run a good campaign. So I think for those reasons, um, you know, I am quite confident that, that Labour will do well. And I think the really important thing for me is, um, you know, I'd be interested in your view on this, but if I'm an SNP voter, at, particularly at a general election, what, why would I Why would I necessarily want to turn out for the SNP? You know, so I think, yes, they might have, you know, a decent, a reasonable level of support in an opinion poll, 35%, say, for instance. Um, but if independence isn't on the table, which it isn't realistically, I think most people recognize that and you know if you've got a tired government after uh you know a long period in office difficulties of public services difficulties with taxation the economy etc um versus this shiny new labor thing that's going to kick out the choice I and mean, why would you why would you turn out i don't know and i think that's going to be the issue that the SNP faces and particularly when you have all these seats in the central belt where the margins are so actually really small um you know that could make a big big difference in the terms of in terms of the number of seats labor picks up i so if you were asking me a few years ago i'd perhaps struggle a bit more to answer that but i think people are starting to see that the voice it's certainly in terms of economic policy certainly in terms of foreign policy within labor's leadership isn't too dissimilar to the conservatives and i say this with a bit of hesitation because I don't like, I think the the Labour, you know, red Tory argument it is is it's stuck with with a lot of people. But I think to to brand any any of those Labour leaders like Starmer and and Rayner and and Murray as as badly you know 
how they conduct themselves and the the corruption that's went on the Conservative Party, I think that is unfair because this Conservative government have been horrible. Like you've got a party that's funded by Russian oligarchs. You've got guys like Boris Johnson and and Rishi Sunak who trashed any sort of decorum in public office. The parties during lockdown, for example, Liz Truss's economic. catastrophe yeah. <laughs> during her time there's just so many layers of just horrifying things to watch in terms of uh, being a member of the public so to brand labor in the same category as them i think is unfair however i think in terms of their economic policy they've talked a lot about deregulating financial services their their failure to remove the banker's bonus yeah um there isn't a huge amount of speak about social democracy or addressing child poverty or homelessness that I think a lot of left-leaning thinkers would like to see. Um, in terms of social policy, um, you know, the big question we, we speak about is at the moment is how we treat trans people and how we address uh, women's rights. I think Labour have kind of flip-flopped in how they address that question. So I think Scottish voters might look at a collection of things here. I mean, the the failure to address a, a ceasefire in Gaza that for quite a while there is another thing as well. I think Scottish voters might look at collective, collectively a lot of things and think, is that voice that Keir Starmer is championing just now that dissimilar to what we're hearing for at least, at least decent Tories, <laughs> if you yeah. like, um, and they might they might not see that dissimilarity and therefore sending SNP. MPs down there would provide a strong voice for Scottish interests and also resources as well because I look at the energy thing and it's interesting the SNP of of you turned on their their windfall tax position Mm. Um, because I don't necessarily agree with that because you know they very much talked so much about how they want to model Norway and yet they've U-turned there and said, oh no, but it's important we cater to these energy giants. That seems at odds with some of the things they were saying before. However, you know, the plan of Labour to fund nuclear energy plants in England and fund council tax freezes in England with that money, it just seems unfair on the North East. Like, I'm not from there, but I would feel that the amount that they're contributing to the rest of the UK, what they're getting in return isn't that great, in my opinion. But mm. that would be for someone from the North East to say, not myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a lot in what you say, and I think it is, it's a very... I've actually written about this... Um, uh for a little while a couple of pieces um uh even back back last year you know it's very very difficult balancing act i think for labor trying to and particularly because of course we had that unprecedented situation in 2019 where labor lost a lot of its traditional heartlands in the north uh and kind of midlands um uh of 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 england uh and you know the party obviously is desperate to win back those those voters and the way that Keir wants to do that or, or feels need to do that is obviously to kind of um, do this socially conservative pitch, um, this kind of, you know, uh, not quite pro-Brexit, but certainly not anti-Brexit kind of um, yeah. uh, style. Um, you know, so 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 I definitely think, and that, that obviously is a, a very difficult balancing act, as I say, when you're also trying to win back kind of liberal um, centre-left progressive types in in Scotland, uh, you know, who will make up a lot of the seats where where Labour need to do well, um, and I think, in fairness to SNP, you know, they clearly recognise this, and I think one of the real successes they've had. You mentioned Gaza. I mean, I think they Stephen Flynn in particular, I think, has been brilliant at uh, you know 
driving a wedge uh, in, in, into Labour uh, on that issue and really kind of, um, I, I don't want to say playing the politics because, you know, I think obviously he cares about the issue. But, you, yeah, you know, it's, it's a sensitive, you know, it's yeah. a sensitive issue. I, I get, I get but, that, but, but yeah. Yeah, but, you know, they've also, you know, it has been a political success for the SNP as well. So whatever whatever our views on the on the specifics. So, uh, you know, I think I think there is, potentially ground for them to 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 to, to work with there um and uh, and to try and shore up some of their support there i do think as well you're absolutely right i mean the 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 28 billion um uh green new deal stuff i mean that's been an absolute it's disappointing it's disappointing it really yeah. is and, like and I, I slightly feel from my yeah you know, in a in an old life i was a political correspondent for the press and journal so you know i have some feeling for the kind of the northeast and um uh, and the industry itself. And it seems to me that, you know, Labour's kind of, you know, they've dumped that pledge, right, which they recognise is politically difficult because, uh, you know, as we're discussing, they need to appeal to to, to people. It's, it's one of the few real policies they had that was kind of uh, not only different to the Conservatives, but was sort of a kind of lefty, progressive, green, um, yeah. you know, some, something with a bit of substance um, that kind of progressive people could, could get behind. Um, so it's a real problem for them to, 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 I think, to have had to get rid of it. And I think for that reason, they've then gone really hard in on oil and gas uh, to try and kind of make up um, uh, a bit of their credibility uh, with that kind of audience and to try and give them something of substance to say. But I think actually it's going to be really, really counterproductive. I think it is, you know, already I think there are issues coming out, out from it you know you've seen the reaction of the industry um I, I think it's it's a bad policy really i've got to be honest um i think in terms of in terms of jobs and and in encouraging deindustrialization. i mean i wouldn't make the point quite so much about you know transferring you know the, the wonderful tax to england or anything like that i mean but just in general i mean i think in terms of the region um and indeed the scottish economy more generally i think it could have a really really serious impact so i think they've definitely made a misstep there so there are opportunities for the smp i think but if i can keep speaking a little bit longer on this just on my higher but i think there is also an issue for the smp because as you were saying they've kind of reversed their position as well and i think that as a result and they're on the on um the windfall tax and and their attitude to oil and gas you know that's a good example it, the S&P's position on oil gas is a total mess as well. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion. And I think that particularly with the independence question receding, there is a real question for the S&P of, of, well, you know, what ideology do they believe otherwise? So it's not just a, I think you're right, absolutely right, that it's an issue for Labour and Labour's having to balance this this. Uh, these issues of being sort of socially conservative in England and and, and liberal in Scotland, uh, but there's also I think a question there for the SNP, which is also slightly ideologically incoherent as well at the moment. Yes, I I think so because they need to balance um, what an independent Scotland would look like as well and give a realistic vision of that and poking the bear in terms of oil and gas industry in the northeast. You know that would be unsettling going into an independent Scotland. Um, However, I mean, it's crazy if you think the difference that we've had in just a decade of going from kind of Scotland's oil funding, uh, kind of you know, progressive, um, center left, kind of Scandinavian style social democracy to having no more oil and gas development, um, 
uh, you know, presumption against oil and gas. Uh, it's a big, it's a big about turn that the SNP has undertaken, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think in quite a short space of time. In fairness, there is there is reason to think that the world is moving that way anyway. Now, you could say we don't want to de-incentivize the industry to invest. However, if we power ahead with that green industrialization, there's an argument to say they won't have any choice but to invest because that's where the money will be. That's where the way the world is moving. Um, mm. I think there is a realist view to say we're going to be using it for a while. So we we might as well do it here. I totally get that. The windfall tax, so I sort of sympathise with Labour's position in that there has been astronomical excess profits made by these energy companies. It's not just been, it's not, you're not attacking their profit margin that they've had for a long time. You're, what you'd be attacking is the excess amount they've had in the last couple of years whilst screwing over families, essentially, and, and their energy bills. It's an undeniable reality that that's what's happened here. Um so I'd, I wouldn't mind something like that and to invest back in public services. However, you know, is it a waste of time at the moment? You know, there's a lot of other stuff going on. You know, would that be a difficult thing to do to even recoup the money? There's one thing saying, oh, we're going to tax that, but to actually do it might be a difficult thing as well because they might not be willing to part with that money. It's it's, it's not as, uh, as straightforward as that. But yeah, I, I would agree that the S&P's position is confused. Um, I think they, they want to seem like they're getting back to governing, I think, as well. Because I think for a while, it's perceived that they've been pandering to the Green coalition that they've got. And, I mean, a lot of people find the Greens extreme. I don't personally for caring about the environment, but that this, the perception is there. And their deposit return scheme, for example, is something that businesses looked at and said, this is a pain in the arse for us. Like, we can't be bored with this. Like, yeah. you're coming after us with not that much money. We're operating at high energy costs anyway. Um, so I think the SNP are trying to take back control of, of their own affairs to say, no, this is good for Scotland. This is good for Scottish industry. We're the independence party and this is our priority. I think they're trying to get back to that feeling of a strong governing voice, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's very true, and I mean I think it's it's a tricky one. I think because you know the DRS is the deposit return scheme is a good example of I think you know a piece of legislation or, or that has the best of intentions, and I think would in theory command quite widespread public support, and indeed probably public support, but business support as well. I think you know if, if it were implemented um, properly and and correctly, and and I think. The issue has come because you have a perception, and I think it must be borne out in reality. I don't know for certain because it's not really my field, but you know, I, I would think, given how much this seems to happen, that the Scottish government just doesn't really engage and listen listen to business and take on board, uh, you know, their suggestions of if we want something like this to work, this is what it's going to need to look like. And instead it's, and I think this is probably a legacy partly of the pandemic is there's a sense of government knows best and business is always trying to kind of push the envelope a bit further um, to, 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 to get away with things um, that, uh, that that government kind of needs to intervene to stop it doing. Um, but the relationship with the Greens is, is interesting. And I, I don't know how the oil and gas, um, stuff will, will will play out but i think it's clear that going towards a general election perhaps hums is starting to flex his muscles a little bit more and thinking more about you know actually what's going to keep smp mps 
in power or in, in office uh, rather than necessarily keep the Greens happy. So it could be quite an interesting few months, I think, running up to a general election. Yeah, I mean, the, the landscape has certainly changed. I mean, Hamza, when he first took over, you know, is the support certainly in the polls was a lot stronger than it is just now. I mean, it's looking slightly better in the last week or so, but there's <laughs> there's definitely be a downturn. There's definitely be some sort of trend to suggest that the SNP aren't going to do as well as they've done before. Um, and that kind of feels like a defining moment in how we're looking at the next general election is the post-Sturgeon era and the, and the dominance that she had before. It almost felt like un- unimaginable that Labour would have such a strong voice as they do now. Do you think that'll play out in the next general election? How do you think it'll go? Yeah, I think I think I think my instinct very much is that it will. I think I think um, yeah, as I said earlier, I think there's a my strong feeling. And I'm not, you know, I am biased, but I think I'd like to try and sort of remove myself slightly from um, and, and look at it reasonably objectively. But I still feel that um, Labour has kind of turned the corner, um, and I think that it will be very difficult, I think, for, for the SNP. And I think it will be difficult personally for Humza as well, but I think it will be difficult for the SNP uh, to adjust. But of course, in truth, Westminster has never really been a priority for the SNP. I mean, it was almost a kind of uh, a, a consequence of um, 2014, a kind of accidental thing that they came to this landslide victory in 2015, um, almost kind of unintentionally. Um, and of course, that sort of that has become the status quo, and the expectation is that the SNP will dominate um, uh, Scottish politics at Westminster. But of course, that's only been the case for a very short space of time. It's not a natural state of affairs in Scottish politics at all. And so, I think we'll probably see a bit of an adjustment, certainly at this election. Um, and I do think you know Labour will be the chief beneficiaries of that. As I said earlier, you know, particularly the seats in the central belt in the west. There's so many small majorities where very, very small swings um, and difficulties, I think, as I, as I said as well, you know, with SNP voters maybe not turning out, um, as happened a bit in 2017, uh, you know, could have a really um, outsized impact um, on the result. Um, I do also think just with the oil and gas point in mind, you know, actually, I think the Tories are probably in a reasonably happy position, um, which might be surprising. I mean, I think that probably Scotland, weirdly, is maybe a bright spot for, for Rishi Sunak in what will be a grim night, just in the sense that I think that Douglas Ross, you know, has, you know, Douglas Ross is Douglas Ross, but I think, you know, he's <laughs> he's, he's, he's he's done a good job um, in terms of, uh, you know, appealing to his base, I think, in, on a lot of issues. And I think particularly, uh, you know, they've played the politics of oil and gas uh, right in a way that, both Labour and the SNP have failed to do in terms of, um, you know, making themselves really the only party that is kind of pro-industry um, in inverted commas. Um, and I think that will probably help shore up their support there. Um, you know, and I, I would think they'd probably hold on to most of their seats. Well, it's uh, interesting to say that because my next question was, do you think the Conservatives are finished in Scotland? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I think that politics doesn't generally tend to change. It, it generally takes a stroke of genius or a, a certain political figure to rise to the ranks to, to really change the sh- shift patterns in, in, in politics in the UK. I mean, the UK is generally a conservative voting country that occasionally votes Labour. Scotland was always Labour, but it took the the sort of the genius and the charisma of an Alex Salmon to, to change that 
complexion. Mm. I was watching you, Salmond actually earlier at the Scottish Affairs Committee, you know, and he's yeah, still, dressing he's still, down, brilliant. He's still a brilliant performer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very I'm very open in, in how I got into politics. I always really looked up to Alex Salmond. I thought he was a brilliant orator and watched him in First Minister's Questions to think, to see a sort of, a man from Scotland speak so well about a, a subject that wasn't particularly popular at the time when he first sort of rose to that top job. I just found it, I just found it tremendous. Also, a lot's, a lot's happened since then and I became Indeed, disillusioned yeah. with politics when, when the, the, the scandal of sorts came out with, with him. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's still got it, it seems, uh, watching him uh, dressing down Douglas Ross. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think you can make a case that, a very strong case that, you know, he's he's one of the most significant, if not perhaps even the most significant British politician, um, if he he would probably really resent that description, but, um, but politicians in Britain um, of the last kind of um, 20 years, you know, kind of post-millennium um, uh, politicians. I think if you look at, um, you know, him and perhaps Nigel Farage, I think in terms of people that have had influence on the direction of the country, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, oh, they're, God, they're, that's they're, such a horrible statement you've just made. But yeah, I guess I guess you're right. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean necessarily that they're alike. Ob objectively yeah. speaking, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right. I think, but yeah, that um, was, I mean, that that was farcical in my opinion. That that he wasn't representing a, a movement as big as as Alex Salmond's uh, in terms of percentage wise of voting intention. That was a relatively comparatively small wing of conservatives that were pandered to by David Cameron you know that that never should have been as big as it was and but it, but you're right he, the influence he, he had was mental and it seems though Zoe started to have one influence again with this know, reformed yeah. party sitting at 10 percent what's yeah. that about yeah but well that's that's a really interesting um I think one of the kind of wild cards of um uh of the general election that we just don't really know i saw there was some research out i think yesterday i was reading labor together the, the sort of think tank um type group put out some research you know saying that if we're reform were to back down or uh, you know as they did in 2019 not contest um certain conservative or conservative seats uh you know then that would massively reduce the prospects of a of a labor majority um so i think what they do whether nigel farage comes back um you know what happens with all these crazy issues with with um, the boat, you know, channel crossings and all this kind of stuff. You know, all that kind of stuff could have could have a real impact on the election. Um, mm. And uh, it's interesting because it's something obviously that's not really it doesn't really come across your desk in Scottish politics. Um, uh, you know, there isn't that kind of insurgent element, as it were, um, uh, that could have an impact. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how that how that plays out, but. Um, yeah, I mean, the question they're asking is which way are the Conservatives going to jump in order to get that sort of margin down from Labour in, 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 you know, in the next sort of six months or so? Are they going to go centrist or are they going to try and latch on to this sort of 10%, which is quite a big number, to be fair, mm -hmm. um, of voters that are just disillusioned with the current Conservative Party but still hold quite extreme um, Brexiteer beliefs and believe that immigrants are the the problem to, to to pretty much everything which is which seems ridiculous but uh, there we are yeah i mean it's one of those things i i think because rishi sunak succeeded liz truss there's sort of a assumption at least i you know in my mind i always catch myself thinking it that he's somehow some kind of centrist you know wet tory when actually of course he's not at all 
you know, he's a very kind of Thatcherite. Um, you know, he actually did vote for Brexit. Um, I think unlike yeah. unlike Liz Truss, you know, so he actually ideologically is more of a kind of uh, right winger uh, than than a lot of um, the leaders that have come before. Certainly more, I would say, than, than, than Boris Johnson. You know, who actually Brexit aside, it was basically a pretty kind of moderate um, um, uh, Tory. Um, so it'd be interesting, I think, and so naturally, I think his inclination would probably be to chase the reform votes. Um, and I think it won't just be interesting to see how that plays out in the general election, although, of course, that will be significant. But also, I think the Tory party is going to go through absolute hell um, after a defeat. Um, and goodness knows what will end up happening, um, whether it will split or uh, end up with the... I mean, it could be anyone. And I think it could be uh, someone... You know, quite, <laughs> quite out there, uh, potentially. So we'll, we'll have to see. But uh, yeah, yeah. So what are you you're a writer for the the Courier, Andrew? What have you been writing about recently? Oh gosh, um, I mean, it's always it's always politics. I mean, it, one of the nice things about um, you know writing about Scottish Scottish politics is it's never boring. You know, there's always stuff going on. Um, particularly, you know, the last the last couple of years. But you know, in the last decade, you know, I started out as a as a I, began my career as a trainee reporter on the Courier uh, back in 2012, you know, just as the kind of referendum stuff was gearing up. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's been absolutely fascinating ever since. Uh, I mean, there's been, there's been nonstop kind of interesting events, um, unexpected twists and turns. Um, and I think the next six months or so, how, however long we're going to be looking towards a general election, it's only going to get more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so that's that's kind of where my where my focus will be. As I'm a, sure it will be for you as well. <laughs> uh, absolutely, it's been yeah. it's been brilliant <laughs> to write about. It's been so interesting. Now, obviously, I started writing one tribal uh, almost three years now, actually. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been it's it's been bit, yeah. There's never a dull moment. Let's put it that way. But before yeah. uh, before we finish up, Andrew, I'm going to ask you for for a number for a projection for the general election in Scotland in terms of seats. Where do you think where do you think the SNP is going to be? Where do you think Labour is going to be? <laughs> I'm going to force Gosh, it out yeah. here. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, predictions are a fool's game, really. But I'll I'll indulge you. Um, I mean, I, th- <laughs> I think that um, uh, I, I think from from with the risk of looking really stupid, I think there's a good chance only that Labour will get more than thirty seats, um, possibly into into the mid thirties, uh, which I know is is significantly more than current polls predict um but as i say uh you know as i've said a couple of times you know i think the issues would turn out the issue of motivation for smp voters it's not so much that i think the labor will you know drag people out but that the smp will have have issues getting people to vote um and that that i think with those tight margins again that we discussed in, in the central belt in the west um, that could see Labour do do very well and, and sort of sort of unexpectedly well, I think. You know, I think there'll be some surprises on the night, people that don't, didn't expect to get elected getting elected, um, all that kind of thing. Um, so, but I would definitely think, so that would be my kind of outlandish prediction. And I would definitely say, I think Labour will be the largest party in Scotland after the general election. So I'm, again, I'm going to press you for a number because one minute, I'm going to write this down, <laughs> and I'm going to <laughs> and I'm going to tweet you with, with the projections and how it and how it turns out come election time. So I'm going to press okay. you for I'm going to press you for a number, and I'll I'm give you one as well. I'm going to go for Labour having thirty four. Labour thirty four, and how many seats is there? Is it fifty eight in Scotland? Yeah, 
Uh, well, but the boundary changes are going down to 57, Seven. I think. 57. Yeah. Okay, so you've got 34 at the moment. Yeah, so so maybe maybe put the S&P on about 18. 18. And I think the Tories will, the Tories will hold on to a good chunk as well. 40, 44... Yeah, so fifty-two. So you're you're leaving the Tories five. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. And none for the Greens or the Lib Dems. The the small parties are losing out. That's true. Actually, I haven't thought about the Lib Dems because <laughs> the Lib Dems usually, I mean, they usually do yeah, well in the West End, bro. Don't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, they'll definitely hold. I mean, you'll definitely get the Lib Dems will definitely hold um, Orkney and Shetland, and uh, and I'm sure they'll hold. Um, the Caithness and Sutherland and Ross seat. Um, so, so you're um, you're either eating into SNP or your your Tory prediction. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to press you on that. <laughs> um, I'm gonna uh, let's lock off. Let's let's make it interesting. Let, we'll take it off the SNP. Oh, love to see it. <laughs> love to see it. Right. Okay. Right. I'm gonna unsurprisingly disagree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go thirty-nine for the SNP. I think that I think that the pendulum has is definitely swung and Labour are looking strong at the moment, but I think foreign policy isn't going away. And mm. I think although I think although Labour will eventually I mean if 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 it's Wednesday call for that ceasefire, I think it's looking increasingly likely. Um I mean the you know what's the situation in Rafa? I think almost I think even Joe Biden's changing his position um on mil uh, Israel's military uh, operation. I don't think that issue is going away though, and I think people will remember the anger that they feel certainly in the last couple of weeks with how big the death toll is, especially in Scotland. I think that could play a part, and I think collectively. They might. I, I don't know. I I could see SNP getting a bit of a resurgence if they could. If mm. if the SNP can get a little bit of stability, and their uh, division that you know people that you know position themselves as not ideologically with Hamza, uh, if they don't speak up as much, <laughs> yeah. I think the SNP could get a resurgence. I'm gonna go to thirty nine for the SNP. Yeah. I'm gonna go. What does that leave me with? Seventeen, eighteen. I'm gonna go. I'm going to go 16 for Labour and two for the Lib Dems. I'm going to go zero Tories. Tory wipeout. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I've taken a note of that. I will be posting that on general election yeah. time. I think we should, we should both caveat. Obviously, it's a long way till the election. So I think you're right to say that there's a lot, a lot that may happen in between. Yeah. So we might have to, we might have to review those, those yeah, predictions yeah, yeah. at some point, depending on what happens. Also, it's been yeah. a pleasure having you, Andrew, on the, on the podcast. A good, a good gamble with politics. Is there anything that you want to say to our listeners before you go? No, just likewise. Thanks very much for having me. You know, real pleasure. I really enjoyed the discussion. So, um, I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, th thanks so much for for the for the good work. Keep it up. Cheers, Andrew. Bye bye.